Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carol analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Islamophobia is wrong, but so is hiding behind it to promote terrorism. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Are you uh, a little befuddled by, by what I mean um, in that title? Well, I will explain. It actually can relate to a number of things, but I am particularly talking today about the recent um, episode, uh, recent episode, because there are many episodes regarding Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, who I can't believe as I am talking to you about this, are still in Congress. Um, There has to be some kind of mechanism by which they can be recalled. And certainly, at least that Ilhan Omar should be taken off the Committee for Foreign Relations. Let me tell you about this latest episode, and you may have heard about it because, uh, well, because for one thing, this was used by some media to, as another example or another way to criticize President Trump. So you may have heard something about this, but I'm going to go into it in more depth. So the late, this latest episode is that Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar um, were going to make a trip to Israel. Now, uh, as you may well know, they are uh, two Congresswomen who are very anti-Israel and anti-Semitic. Um, and so one has to wonder why, why were they going to Israel? I mean, could it be for anything good? Could it be to, uh, to change their views about Israel? Somehow um, that does not seem very likely given the years of anti-Israel exp- sentiment expressed by both of them. So um, they actually wanted to visit um, what they called the pa- Palestinian territories. But um, Israel announced that they wouldn't be allowed to enter the country. There is, a, there is an update to that, however, which is even more interesting. Um, it turns out that uh, this trip was, was not a vacation, <laughs> um, and it was sponsored by MIFTA, which I'll describe for you. But basically, it's a Ramallah-based organization that has expressed sympathy for Palestinian suicide bombers and supports the anti-Israel BDS movement. So what do you think they're going to do in Israel? Um, Now, under Israeli law, the government is allowed to bar any individual from crossing into their borders if they have openly advocated for a boycott of the country, which kind of seems reasonable. So... um, This, uh, now Rashida Tlaib is a congresswoman from Michigan, and Ilhan Omar is a congresswoman from Minnesota, and um, they were planning this trip um, since at least December 2018. I think they were probably planning it since they, while they were campaigning to be elected. Um, The trip was to the West Bank and Jerusalem, 
and it was for some time in August as an alternative to the APAC-led delegation for lawmakers who are friendlier to Israel. Now, APAC is, <laughs> is the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. Uh, it's a bipartisan organization of U.S. citizens who are committed to the protection and the promotion of the U.S.-Israeli relations. So their answer to this APAC trip was to do their own trip, and then they found MIFTA to support them, to, to pay for their trip, in other words. Um, now, I will tell you more about MIFTA, but let me tell you a little bit about what APAC has been tweeting about this whole thing. Um, a little while ago, they tweeted, in 2014... Israel faced a barrage of 4,500 rockets from Palestinian terrorists in Gaza. The Iron Dome system, which the U.S. Army just purchased to protect U.S. troops, saved countless lives by intercepting rockets fired at populated areas. Then they tweeted, we disagree with representatives Omar and Talib's support for the anti-Israel and anti-peace BDS movement, along with Representative Talib's calls for a one-state solution. We also believe every member of Congress should be able to visit and experience our democratic ally Israel firsthand. So in other words, it's not, an, uh, it's not to keep people from Congress out of Israel. It's to keep pe people <laughs> um, who are openly anti-Israel and anti, um, you know, and, and supporters of the BDS movement. Um, you know, one th when I first read about this or heard about this, I was thinking, well, you know, maybe it would be, and I'm sure a lot of people thought this, maybe it would be a great idea for Tlaib and Omar to go to Israel and to see how beautiful the country is, not just beautiful you know, physically, but the people and how peaceful it is, and, well, except for when it's being barraged <laughs> with rockets from Palestinian terrorists. Um, but, you know, what a wonderful, beautiful, religious, spiritual country it is. So maybe it's a good thing if they visit. But then when you look further into it and find out, you know, who their trip was being sponsored by and what they plan to do, then, it, you know, the idea of their minds being changed by this wonderful trip to Israel seems, you know, very unrealistic. And then APAC tweeted, tweeted, tweeted uh, more recently, we commend the Israeli government for permitting Congresswoman Talib to visit her grandmother. Now, I'm going to tell you all about that. But first, let me tell you about the group that was planning to pay for their trip. Uh, the Palestinian Initiative for the Promotion of Global Dialogue and Democracy. Doesn't that sound, uh, you know, that sounds wonderful, right? Uh, better known as MIFTA. Um, and despite it uh, calling itself a peaceful organization that is dedicated to promoting Palestinians' democratic institutions, for years, it has carried ties to terrorist sympathizers and has openly accused Israel of atrocities and supports the boycott of Israeli products. Now, the founder of MIFTA, uh, you know, brushed off Palestinian terrorist attacks and he, by saying, quote, uh, 
they, they are, quote, seen by people as resistance. And you cannot somehow adopt the language of either the international community or the occupier by describing anybody who resists as terrorists. Really? <laughs> so, so they're sending the rockets is just resisting. Okay. And then the website of MIFTA uh, honors this woman, Wafa Idris. She is or was a female suicide bomber. And um, she was, it honors her as being one of the few young women who chose to, quote, join the ranks of the resistance movement. And what she did, this woman who they're honoring, is to detonate herself in January 2002, killing an 81-year-old and wounding another 150 Israelis. This is who this group, who wanted to sponsor them, is honoring. Um, then um, they published also, <laughs> yeah, in 2013, they published an article on their website that accused the Jewish people of using, quote, the blood of Christians in the Jewish Passover, unquote, which is patently ridiculous. If you know anything about Passover or you look up Passover, it has nothing to do with using Christian blood. Um, Anyhow, then also they hold membership with the Amun Coalition, which has accused Israel of, quote, stealing and, quote, racist goals. And it's a member of the Palestinian NGO network, which has refused to add its signature to the anti-terror clause, which the U.S. uses as a, condi as a condition for getting funding. So when, um, when it came out that this group, this clearly terrorist anti-Israel group, was going to be sponsoring uh, these two congresswomen to come to Israel, <laughs> um, then Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu decided that this wasn't a good idea. Um, he said, quote, the itinerary of the two congresswomen reveals that the sole purpose of their visit is to harm Israel and increase incitement against it. In addition, the organization that is funding their trip is MIFTA, which is an avid supporter of BDS and among those whose members and among whose members are those who have expressed support for terrorism against Israel. Therefore, the Minister of Interior has decided not to allow their visit, and I, as Prime Minister, support his decision. Well, um, we're going to get more into this when we come back. There, the plot thickens, and um, you can you can make your own decision. Of course, with all of my uh, shows and podcasts, you can you know it's up to you. But I am basically presenting things to you that most of the mainstream media uh, do not mention or highlight. Stay tuned for more. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about. Islamophobia is wrong, but so is hiding behind it to promote terrorism. Now, I promised more uh, twists and turns that the plot would thicken. <laughs> and indeed it has, because after Rashida Tlaib was given permission by Israel to enter because of her wanting to visit her elderly grandmother, she decided not to come. So she is, she, her love for her grandmother obviously um, is less than wanting to make her point 
about um, Israel and I and President Trump because President Trump had uh, tweeted about how Israel was right to to do this to not let them in um, because of clearly you know who the trip was sponsored by and what their intentions were in Israel. So, I mean, so just I mean, this is I think this this part is so telling about Rashida Tlaib and clearly. Ilhan Omar, probably if she had a grandmother who she had said she wanted to visit as a way to get into Israel, uh, she would probably have done the same thing. But I mean, it just is so telling about Rashida Tlaib's character. Um, that's how much she loves her grandmother that, you know, she's willing to dump her in order to, in order to, you know, um, trash Israel, basically. All right. She's willing to do anything. That's what that shows, that she's willing to do anything to hurt Israel. Um, anyhow, so she, after being given permission, she said she's not going to go. And um, she, this, what she said was, quote, I have decided that visiting my grandmother under these oppressive conditions stands against everything I believe in, fighting against racism, oppression, and injustice. Um, she decide, said she decided not to travel to this country. Now, she, this is, um, she had written a letter to Interior Minister of Israel, Araya Derry, so that she could go in. And um, she wrote this letter a day after the country had barred her and Omar from entering because of their support of the boycott and so on, ongoing anti-Israel sentiment. So, um, so this is, the letter that she wrote was... Um, Minister Derry, I would like one second. I would like to request admittance to Israel in order to visit my relatives and specifically my grandmother, who is in her 90s and lives in Beit or Al Fuqa. This could be my last opportunity to see her. I will respect any I will respect any restrictions and will not promote boycotts against Israel during my visit. <laughs> okay. Uh, so then after she wrote this letter and, and the uh, minister of the interior allowed her to come in, she then reversed course. And, um, and you know, she said, after she said she would respect all these restrictions, um, you know, maybe it was Ilhan Omar who talked her out of it, quite frankly. Um, okay, so uh, Rashida Tlaib's family piped up. Uh, they live in the West Bank, and they condemned Israel over the, quote, conditional visit and insisted that it's a natural right to be able to visit rel relatives. So they, her family wrote, we reject the decision of the Israeli occupation to ban the entrance of Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. This highlights how Israel antagonizes every individual or, or organization that support the inalienable rights of the Palestinian people and rejects every attempt at explaining the reality of the Palestinian life under occupation. Uh, now this was written, was supposedly written by <laughs> um, her grandmother, Muftiya Tlaib, and her uncle, Ghassan Tlaib. Somehow, I think they had the um, help of the organization that um, were going to pay for their trip to Israel, NIFTA. Um, 
Now to, oh, they, they, they wrote more. They said, quote, it should be her natural right, not a favor to ask for, to visit her homeland and family. Um, oh, and then supposedly some of her family, not supposedly, this is probably, this may well have happened, although I doubt her grandmother would have been gone along with this. Some of her family urged her not to make the trip under Israel's restrictions and only to come if it's an official visit as an American congresswoman. Uh, then her uncle said that maybe he could bring her grandmother to visit her in the U.S. Not sure if that's going to happen. Um, I mean, you know, the, the um, Israel said that they could come. Yes, they had a condition that she wasn't supposed to engage in anything anti-Israel when she was there, but somehow I don't think that that's unreasonable. Um, so now this, as, just to make sure, just to clarify for anyone who, because it does kind of get misrepresented a lot in the media, but this boycott movement, BD, BDS, um, it stands for Boycott, Divest, and Sanctions, and um, they are, uh, it's a very anti-Israel group um, who are trying to end international support for Israel because of its policies towards Palestinians. So as well as continuing to settle in the West Bank settlements. And, um, and, and so in other words, trying to basically... Um, use a lot of economic sanctions and just to, to do things against Israel because of, um, in favor of the Palestinians who they are claiming Israel is, uh, that, you know, is, is saying that, uh, Israel doesn't have a right to that land basically. So, um, so now president Trump, um, had tweeted about this and then, so a lot of media are saying that uh, that Israel only said that they weren't going to allow these two congresswomen in because Trump said that Trump tweeted these things that they shouldn't do that. But um, somehow, I think <laughs> I think Benjamin Netanyahu has a mind of his own, and I don't think he was just listening to Trump. Um, now, Omar, of course, piped in, and she said. Um, regarding the fact that they weren't allowed in, um, she said she uh, that it was an. I'll give you her quote. Uh, she said, "Quote Omar, this is said quote. It is an affront that Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, under pressure from President Trump, would deny entry to representatives of the U.S. government. Trump's Muslim ban is what Israel is implementing, this time against two duly elected members of Congress. And then she continued, as a member of the House Committee on Foreign Affairs, it is my job to conduct oversight of foreign aid from the United States of America and to legislate on human rights practices around the world. The irony of the only democracy in the Middle East making such a decision is that it is both an insult to democratic values and a chilling response to a visit by government officials from an allied nation. Oh, give me a break. I mean, first of all, she should never have been elected to Congress and she should never have been elected or, or um, uh, put on um, the House Committee on Foreign Affairs. That was a big mistake because clearly she is biased and can't make decisions on foreign affairs in an unbiased way. So, um, 
there's another interesting example. Now, this one isn't as um, egregious. This one actually, it's, it's also a, con a controversy, but this one um, isn't really, I mean, th another example I was going to say of, of what we're talking about today, which is um, using, uh, using Islamophobia to try to make things go your way. Um, you know, that in other words, if, if people disagree with you in America, it's because they're Islamophobic, not because you're doing anything wrong. So now, but this example is very interesting and, um, and it isn't so clear cut that, 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 you know, that, that he didn't get, a, <laughs> isn't so clear cut that he didn't get a fair shake. Um, I know, too, you're not, never supposed to use two negatives. But anyhow, it's an interesting story. And when we come back, I will tell you the story about a man named Hamid Hayat, who was put in jail uh, soon after 9-11 for um, aiding terrorists, uh, contributing to terrorists. And, um, and he was just, the, the reason why it's news right now is because he was just let out of jail after um, 13, 14 years. And uh, he's still not out of the woods. The, another court might decide he needs to go back. But um, this, is, this is a much more, this is not as clear, clear cut as the Rashida Tlaib Ilhan Omar story. So this, is, this one is one you can make your own, well, you can always make your own decision, but this is one that you need to think a little more <laughs> to make a decision. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show. Um, Today we're talking about how Islamophobia is wrong, but so is hiding behind it to promote terrorism. We've been talking about Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar. Now I'm going to be telling you about um, a story of one man, Hamid Hayat, um, who was put in jail and who was just released. But before I go into his story, I, I want to make it clear, um, in, if it isn't, <laughs> that um, I am very much against Islamophobia, or for that matter, prejudice of any kind. Um, in fact, in my book, my children's book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror, I um, write a, a lot about Islamophobia and how um, it's important for parents and teachers to teach kids uh, that Islamophobia is bad and to preach tolerance, to, to explain that it's not, shouldn't judge a person by how they look, it's by what is in their heart and all of that kind of stuff. So I am very much um, against Islamophobia. However, I am also against people using this um, to promote their real agendas, as we saw with Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, which is anti-Israel and and, and terrorism, you know, I was told you about the rockets, um, which I'm sure you have heard about before, rockets going into Israel from these Palestinian territories. So this is a, a more personal story, not personal to me, but personal to, uh, to Hamid Hayat, um, who was just allowed out of prison after 13, 14 years. Um, and the main reason why, why was because uh, they found that 
uh, his original defense attorneys had failed to introduce key evidence to support his claim of innocence. And that key evidence had to do with the fact that they didn't have um, an expert, an expert witness, talk about confessions because um, they are now claiming that uh, his confession to the FBI was coerced. And so, you know, being a psychiatric expert witness myself, it always gets me um, very annoyed when attorneys um, don't use expert witnesses, whether it's expert witness psychiatrists or any other type of expert witness. And it's really a big mistake because the jury, you know, it's not enough for an attorney to say, uh, for example, in this case, he was coerced into confessing, or even for him to say, I was coerced into confessing. You need an expert to explain how that can happen for a jury to understand what, you know, what is a coerced confession and how did it take place in his case? Did it? So that was a big mistake. And that is what finally uh, got him released from prison when he had new attorneys who were arguing this point. So now originally, uh, he was arrested in 2005 and the FBI originally claimed that there were a group of men, including Hayat, including Hamid and his father, who were supposedly operating an Al-Qaeda recruitment center out of Lodi, California. That's in Northern California. Um, their source for this idea that they were operating this recruiting uh, center came from a very unreliable and inconsistent teenage source within the West Coast Muslim community. Now remember, this was 2000, and, well, arrested in 2005, so it was closer, closer to 9-11 than we are today. And so there was more of an effort to um, root out such sleeper cells. Um, eventually, it was just Hamid who was convicted of a crime, not his father. And he was found guilty of one count of providing material support to terrorists. And this was all about the fact that he... Um, they alleged that he attended an Al-Qaeda training camp in Pakistan in 2003 and then lied about it to the authorities. Um, at the time that he was arrested, you know, there was some, some media was touting this as, you know, how this was great, that the, um, that the FBI was rooting out sleeper cells and that kind of thing. Now, Hamid was 23 at the time, and um, they did... They did, uh, in this new trial, they did get, or a new, I don't know if it was a new motion at least, this new, these new efforts to get him released, which worked. Um, they had testimony from witnesses in Pakistan who said, now, now, supposedly he was visiting, the story is that he was visiting family members in Pakistan. Of course, it is kind of interesting that he did that in 2003, right after 9-11. But in any case, they had witnesses um, who claimed that he never attended a terrorist camp when he was in Pakistan. What they said was he was only playing soccer and, watch, and watching video games. Now, tell me the truth. <laughs> Why would he or anybody have gone to Pakistan uh, in 2003 to play soccer 
and um, watch video games. Now, I guess theoretically, if he was visiting family, he could have been visiting family who were, you know, people his age. And, and yes, they could have, that's a typical thing they might have been doing, playing soccer and watching video games. Um, so a judge, a California judge, overturned the conviction. And this, it had gone to the appeals court. This, this has been going around the courts for quite a while. Now, one of the problems that the government had, although he was convicted, um, was that their star witness was a man named Nassim Khan, who was a fast food worker earning $7 an hour before the FBI hired him to be an informant and paid him nearly $230,000 over three years. And the way that he came to the FBI's attention um, about a month after 9-11 was because he claimed to have information, get this, about a visit to the United States by Amin al-Zawari, uh, Osama bin Laden's deputy in al-Qaeda. Now, it was eventually determined that he was <laughs> full of bull that, um, you know, that, that he was just saying this, I guess, to get attention. Um, and, but be, and because of 9-11, the FBI was trying to build a network of thousands of informants in the U.S. Muslim communities, and so they recruited him. And then when they went to trial, the trial was in 2006, in, in 2006 for um, Hamid Hayat, and so they used him as a witness, which was really, they, they, were, they were really... Um, down in the depths trying using trying to use him i mean a guy who had lied to the fbi in the first place who they then recruited and now they're using him as a as a witness against amid you know tr putting him in jail i mean that they obviously had nothing else to use well they, well they did have the only other thing they had was this confession and the question is whether it was co coerced now they tried to say that um that Nassim Khan, who said that you uh, lied, um, it was just a case of mistaken identity, you know, who he thought was in the U.S., who he thought he saw. Um, so they, they managed to um, get him to confess, and he said he did, Hakim did tell... Um, Hamid, I mean, Hamid did tell the FBI that he did go to a training camp in Pakistan, but he gave them conflicting information about different locations for the camp, sometimes saying one was in Afghanistan, sometimes in Pakistan, and they kept him awake until three in the morning, um, and he was complaining that his head hurt and he wanted to go home and go to sleep. So it is certainly possible, and, and certainly I, I think an expert on coerced confessions would say, that he was in such uh, distress that he would say whatever they wanted just to get out of there. So um, he said, so then he, they, told, they said to him during this confession, but I need you to tell me details about targets, what they said, you know, and this is where I need your memory to come back. And he said, like I said, sir, you know, big buildings and, you know, like who they're going who they're going to attack, who the targets are. Big buildings and like hospitalities and, you know, finance buildings, banks, and what's it called? Uh, maybe like, you know, uh, stores, stores. What kind of stores? 
stores, like food stores, anything like that. So clearly he did seem like he was kind of reaching for straws. Now his father, when he was questioned, he was even more, you know, um, not, he seemed to be just saying whatever under pressure also. Um, his father had worked as an ice cream truck driver and um, the FBI told him, and this was totally unfair, but yes, this happens. They told him that his son had confessed to attending a training camp, which actually was true, but under these, you know, under these questionably coerced circumstances. And um, they told, this is, this is amazing. They minimized how serious it was if he would have gone to see his son. They said, they said that if he visited his son at the training camp, it would be similar to a parent checking out their child's college campus. Really? Um, so then he finally, the father finally uh, described something. He said, um, he, he described a training camp in like imaginary detail. He said it had a thousand fighters wearing masks, quote, like ninja turtles, unquote and using swords to attack dummies made to look like President George Bush and Secretary of Defense and, um, and Secretary of State. And then later the father recanted his confession and he said he based his descriptions on scenes from the movie Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which he had recently watched. Uh, and that, that was after the agents refused to believe that he had never visited the camp. So finally, then he recanted and he, I mean, it does sound like, <laughs> I don't know, it, it does sound like he was kind of making this stuff up. So the father was never uh, convicted and, um, but the son was, he was sentenced to 24 years in prison. And then after uh, approximately 13 or 14, after a lot of work by journalists who didn't believe that he was guilty, uh, and, and a Berkeley graduate student who made it his, her thesis, she th uncovered these witnesses in Pakistan, and um, then they spoke on his behalf. And now he is out, but it is not clear that um, it is a permanent release. I mean, there's still a chance that another judge could put him back. Um, he is an exception to the rule. Since 9-11, the Justice Department has charged nearly 900 defendants with international terrorism-related charges. And um, mostly all have been convicted. Um, only three have been acquitted. He is the first international terrorism defendant since 9-11 to have his terrorism conviction fully overturned. But as I said, it may not be over yet. So he was, he's now 36 and he wept. He had a press conference and he wept and he said, I still think this is a dream. I wake up and I still think I'm in prison. I mean, he is somewhat convincing. I think his, I, I wish that the, um, that the attorneys in his first trial had used an expert, he might well have not had to have this time in prison. So, you know, this, these two examples show you just how, um, how gray, how, uh, how much, how much, um, how blurry the line, well, again, I don't think it was so blurry with Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, but it can be more blurry um, in this case of Hamid Hayat when in terms of whether 
Islamophobia, what, how is Islamophobia is, in, is affecting decisions? Is it making people afraid, you know, people who want to be PC um, and get, giving people a break like Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar? Or, um, you know, is it putting people in jail who shouldn't have been in the first place? You decide. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.